At the heart of these stories are, of course, the criminal justice system and the police force. And we've had a spate of stories, haven't we, of late. Everything from officers being arrested for murder, of course, in the tragic case of Sarah Everard, to officers taking selfies of murder victims at crime scenes. And a whole station, there was a story last week about a whole police station being ruled to have a culture problem. We talked about that last week, didn't we? There is this sense that the police force is broken, that a culture problem and cutbacks and institutional and personal failures have created the perfect storm and hit the force for six. But is that really true? Former police officer Ian Donnelly has written a book asking that question. We spoke to Ian briefly last week, didn't we, around those stories of those selfies being taken and that police force that's been that's under review for culture problems. But I really wanted to give him more time to hear Ian's story and to understand the issue properly. That's what we do at Times Radio. So let's speak to Ian now, who can talk to us about his book, where he's charted his decades in the police force, Tango, Juliet, Foxtrot. Ian, hello, good evening. Hi, Daryl. Thanks for having me back. It's really nice to be back with you again. Oh, pleasure, Ian. Thank you for being with us. Um, um, we'll talk about this, uh, the book, in a minute. The title as well is also uh, important, isn't it? it? tells its own story. We'll get to that in a sec. Firstly, um, this could have been a book about the army, couldn't it, Ian? Because you almost joined the forces, <sighs> but there was an experience that put you off. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a funny one, really. I, I can laugh about that incident now, um, but, but obviously at the time I wasn't laughing. So it was initially when I was at university. So um, I was at university in, in, in Aston and Birmingham back in the 1980s, between 84 and 88. And, uh, you know, like a lot of people reaching the end of my time at university, I sort of thought, right, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And uh, my initial thoughts were that I would join the army as an army officer. And, uh, you know, I like the outdoor life and everything. And um, so, yeah, I went to, uh, from my interview, after jumping through a few hoops, I went from my interview, I think, with a lieutenant colonel or a colonel from the Irish Guards, which was my choice of regiment. And people can read about the story in my book. It's quite a funny story. Um, but needless to say, I got massively stitched up um, by a couple of very mischievous sergeants at the recruiting office. And um, yeah, so uh, having gone away and licked my wounds, I decided to join the police. Can, can you tell me, Ian, what happened? Or give us a hint as to what happened with that room? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the book goes into more detail, but but in, in a nutshell, um, I arrived for my interview uh, at about 10 to 9. The interview was at 9 o'clock. I, I sort of turned up at 10 to 9, all smartly dressed in my suit and shiny shoes and tie, and um, the sergeant who was on duty at the army recruitment office in Birmingham said to me, oh, you're, you're too early. Um, go away, have a cup of coffee. Um, the, 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 the colonel isn't here yet. He doesn't come in until like, nearly 10 o'clock. So go away, have a cup of, cup of coffee, uh, come back at 10 o'clock and you can have your interview. So I was like, uh, OK. So off I went. And um, yeah, I came back about 10 to 10. I walked in, sort of nodded and smiled at the sergeant who looked at me as if I'd just been beamed in from another planet. Um, and I said, I've come for my interview now. Is he here yet? And the sergeant said, uh, I've no idea. Sorry, who are you? Uh, and I sort of was a bit confused, but I reintroduced myself and said, you told me to go away and have a cup of coffee. And he said, um, sorry, I've got no idea who you are. I've never seen you before in my life. Um, and by the way, is your name Ian Donnelly? And I was like, yes, it is. And he said, well, you're late for your interview. You should have been here at nine o'clock. <sighs> so, so we went through this <clears throat> excuse me, a uh, whole pantomime where I had to try and explain to this colonel why I was late for the interview. Then there was a sort of a head-to-head with the sergeant who d- 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 denied having told me to go away. 
Um, and it all became pretty, it was like, it was like a, um, a West End farce in the end. And, um, ultimately I, I kind of decided I just had enough and walked out, um, you know, and, and ended up, um, swearing, um, at calling the sergeants, uh, some fairly choice names, at which point he chased me up the street, um, <laughs> up New Street in Birmingham, uh, which I was, I was about nine, I was about 11 stone dripping wet in those days. I was a bit of a, a runner. So I managed to get away from him, but I've no doubt had he caught me, he would have given me a good, a good panning, as they say, you know. Blimey. Um, okay, so army not for you at hurdle one. Um, I think it's fair to say. Um, yeah. The police force was where you ended yeah. up. Although I think it's fair to say, so this was the, the late eighties, wasn't it, Ian? That you joined that's the force. Right. We'll, we'll that's get, right. We'll get your reflections on 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 the contrast between then and and the time that you left the force. But you weren't particular. I mean, this sort of t- t- it gives us a bit of a sense of the politics and the culture at the time. But you mm. you weren't particularly keen on the idea of being a police officer. No, I wasn't actually. It was funny because my brother had joined the police several years earlier, and um, you know, I was a bit of a sort of typical, slightly left-wing student at the time. <clears throat> so when my brother joined the police, um, I was pretty horrified, to be honest. And I said to him, "What are you thinking about? You know, they're all a bunch of fascist bully boys." And um, uh, obviously, there's a lot of people out there today who still think that. But um, but obviously, because he was my brother, and I trusted him. Uh, he he told me sort of the stories of the sort of things he was doing. And I thought, well, actually, I've completely got this wrong. You know, they're doing a lot of really good work. Um, they're doing something that's valuable for society. They're putting themselves in harm's way to protect people. Uh, and anyway, after a while, I kind of completely changed my tune and I decided to join the police instead. And and it was, well, definitely the best decision I ever made, I suppose. Yeah. And it was, it was when you arrived and... Getting to know the culture, getting to know the the, the sort of the, ling- the lingo and the language that the name of the book reared its head. Tango that's Juliet. right. Yeah, in, in, a way that's, in a way that's radio friendly, Ian. What does yeah. uh, what does Tango <laughs> Juliet Foxtrot mean? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's before the nine o'clock watershed, isn't it? So so when I when I first joined the uh, the police in London in 1989, one of the very first things um, I, I I sort of heard people say again and again was TJF. TJF, you know, they would say, and generally they would say it uh, in response to being told to do something that was pointless or stupid, or, or there'd be some ridiculous new, you know, uh, process that had been brought in. Um, and uh, the, the officers would say, ah, oh, TJF, you know. And I was like, said, well, what does that, what does that actually mean? And, and, uh, and it's basically, uh, I'm not sure, you'll have to uh, use artistic license here, but the jobs effed okay um and (laughs) um and that and that is what police officers have said um you know for many years and i tell a story in the book about when i i was a young officer i was probably about less than two years service i went to uh, an old boy who was in his 90s who was living on his own in in a council block in south london and he was being tormented by uh all the local youths who were pushing, you know, dog poo through his letterbox and knocking on his windows day and night. And and he was in a real state. He got very upset and I sat and, um, you know, uh, tried to help him. But anyway, he told me some fascinating stories about when he uh, had been in the police himself back in, uh, during the war, uh, during the Second World War, uh, all through the Blitz. And he told me some really fascinating stories. Um, and I think, he'd, I think he'd retired something in the 1960s or something like that. Um, and anyway, as I was leaving, he grabbed me by the arm and said to me, is the job still 
effed. And I and I started laughing and said, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Um, so it's obviously, I think the point is that people have been saying that about the job for such a long time. But the reason, the sort of the thesis that I set out in my book is that uh, in the eyes of many, many police officers across the UK now, there is a definite sense that the job is actually effed. Um, as opposed to it just being something that people have kind of all, always said, if that makes sense. Really? Wow. Okay, Ian, I'm keen to get a sense from you of how we have journeyed from that being something of a caricature, uh, an in-joke in the police force, to something that you feel is now really true, has actually come to fruition. Ian Donnelly is with you on Times Radio tonight. We'll find out more about him and his life in the police force next. Times Radio Breakfast with Asma Mir and Stig Abel. With Omicron now the dominant variant, it looks like the government is going to get rid of the tests travellers have to take before coming to the UK. We'll ask what that means for your hope of getting some winter sun or snow. Times Business Editor Richard Fletcher will have the latest business news and the editor of The Voice newspaper Lester Holloway and broadcaster Emma Wolfe dissect the day's top stories. Switch on to a brighter breakfast every morning. Times Radio Breakfast with Asma Mir and Stig Abel. Tomorrow morning from six on Times Radio. Across the UK, on DAB Digital Radio, on the free Times Radio app, and via your smart speaker, this is Times Radio. Hello, good evening. 10 to 9 on Times Radio. You're joined by Ian Donnelly tonight. He is a former police officer, decades in the service, that he has compiled into a book called Tango Juliet Foxtrot, which stands for The Jobs Theft as we've been learning tonight. Um, an in-joke, a quip within the police force that Ian says has become a cultural reality. Um, Ian, I'm keen to journey through your experience there and, and, and extract what that tells us about where the police force is at and how it's got there. And I, I'm keen to start in one of the areas that you worked in that's perhaps the heaviest and um, the most daunting of challenges, which was tackling child abuse and child expo- exploitation during your time in the police force. Can you give us a sense of how that was? Yeah, well, it's certainly um, one of the most challenging areas of policing without any shadow of a doubt. So I'd been an investigator, a detective for, um, I suppose, the majority of my career up until that time. So so just to sort of, um, you know, timestamp this, this is, uh, I was, by the time I was involved in child abuse investigations, I was a detective inspector in Birmingham. Um, I had probably getting on for 18 to 20 years service. Um, I'd been in counterterrorism for uh, a very long time when I was in London, and I talk all about that in my book. You know, I talk about stuff that I can talk about for obvious reasons. Um, and then I transferred to the West Midlands, and uh, after you know four or five years up there, uh, having been a sergeant and been promoted to inspector, um, I then uh, took on uh, running a child abuse investigation unit, and and certainly. Um, you know, it's one of those areas of policing that uh, we rely very much on our sort of um, partners in health, uh, doctors, pediatricians, social services. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the work can be extremely challenging and stressful um, because of the sheer volume of it and the the amount of risk that individual officers are actually carrying on a day-to-day basis. So, uh, so yeah, and then I went on to become the national project manager for the uh, child Sexual Exploitation Action Plan. So, as you'll recall, there was a, a massive epidemic of 
uh, on streak on street child exploitation going on across the UK. So there's cases like Rochdale and um, Oxford and Telford and all these very high profile cases and. And I'd been doing a lot of that stuff when I was in Birmingham because we were seeing the very same, similar sort of things emerging in Birmingham. So I went on to to lead that national project um, for 12 months, um, you know, working for um, Simon Bailey, who was the chief constable of Norfolk and, pre, and, and had been the uh, the national lead for child abuse. So. Mm. And, and and you you talk in your book about uh, discovering that you were holding inside a great deal of what psychologists might describe as unprocessed trauma. You say, I never really had time to think about uh, about it properly. I dealt with so much death, much of it violent or gory. I mean, that in your time tackling serious crimes as well as child sexual exploitation. Uh, and all of it sad and tragic. Coming back to the police station and finding tiny pieces of human tissue caught in the laces of my boots and blood splattered all over my trousers, you say. I mean, Ian, you paint a picture there of a life that must have been torture. Well, you know, um, it has its moments of of great darkness. There's no question about it. Um, and uh, and I don't, you know, in the book, I, I, uh, it's not all doom and gloom. There's lots of laughs in the book, but certainly I pull no punches in terms of the the psychological impact that policing has on individuals. Um, I, I certainly, um, you know, was impacted um, by that as, as much as as anyone. And I've been very open in the book about, you know, uh, my my periodic struggles with um, poor mental health, um, some of which was as a result of um, working in the police, some of it was as a result of just the stuff that happens to everyone in life. Um, but, but you know, f- for example, you know, I went through a divorce um, sort of back in sort of 2009, 2010. At that time, I was working as a child abuse investigator. I was going out to deal with dead kids in the middle of the night, um, um, whilst simultaneously going through a very difficult and stressful divorce. So um, it's not surprising then that um, police officers can sometimes struggle with their mental health. Mm. And, I, and I think this is particularly um, problematic at the moment because the police are under what feels like a continuous deluge of negative publicity mm. and a very hostile sort of media narrative, not from not from every part of the media, but from, from significant parts of the media. And that has a massive impact on officers' morale uh, you know, they're going out day after day to do a, what is by any definition a chaotic and difficult job. And when they, every time they turn on the television, every time they open the newspaper or they go on to, you know, the BBC website or whatever, there there is just constant negativity. And it doesn't actually reflect, in my view, and in the view of many police officers, it doesn't reflect the reality of the job that they do. And so can we draw a line here then, Ian, between that and the deterioration of the culture, what you describe as Tango Juliet Foxtrot? Well, I, I, it's, it's a really tricky, it's a chicken and egg thing, I think, Daryl, because I think the, the, the police service in the UK is in a state of crisis at the moment, but that has happened for a reason. Um, it's happened, and I talk, about, I talk about a toxic triad rather than a holy trinity. I talk about a toxic triad. And what I mean by that, if you imagine three legs of a stool, on one, one you've, got, you've got politicians from both sides of the political divide who over many, many years have, have been interfering in policing and have saddled the police with all sorts of ridiculous things that they've had to try and do and performance indicators that have had no bearing whatsoever on public safety. And, and then you had Theresa May and David Cameron who came along in 2010 and completely pulled the rug from under the feet of policing, taking away... 20,000 police officers, 23,000 members of police staff, 
Three quarters of the police stations in London have had to be sold off and closed. Half the police stations in the UK have been sold off and closed. Um, and the demand on policing has gone through the roof during that time. It just gets greater and greater. So um, do I think the job is effed? I don't think it is just yet. I think there's still a real desire within the organisation to do a good job. But I can see morale is on its knees um, and the resources um, uh, that police have got at their disposal shows no sign, no, no significant sign of improving. And, and you touch on the fact that the police are really bad at defending themselves as well, Ian, in this book. Um, and I, I wonder if that's a, often a, an issue with lots of big public institutions, that it can be incredibly hard to sort of bat back. Yeah, well, I, I actually lay the blame for that. Um, and I've been very, very clear about this in my book um, at the door of some of the senior leaders in policing over the last sort of 10 to 12 years. Um, but are they, are they, can, I, can I ask you that? Are they not part of the same cycle? Because, you, you know, you say that, that there is a, a, a huge amount of criticism uh, levelled at the police, which is sort of self-fulfilling in a sense, that the more you criticise, the, the sort of more downtrodden they become and the worse the culture gets. Is, yes, that, is, that, not the, is that not the same higher up the, the ladder? Yeah, definitely. And I, I didn't. I probably didn't finish off that point about the, the Sorry, three things, the, to, the toxic triad. So on one hand, you've got politicians. Secondly, you've got certain parts of the media who just continually criticise the police, very undeservedly, in my view. Um, and the third part of that is weak um, leaders who fail to stand up for their staff. Now, um, it's very difficult for, for junior officers, um, you know, anybody under the rank of sort of chief superintendent, um, to speak out and actually challenge some of this negativity within the media. That, in my view, um, is and should have been the job of chief constables across the country. Some of those chief constables, you know, I'm not saying they're bad people, they're not bad people, um, but they've been weak. And, um, and I think at a time when the whole of the service should have been standing up as one, um, to say, stop this, saying to Theresa May, stop this, you're, you're, you're destroying one of our most important institutions in the UK. That's what they should have been saying. And at that time, they were deafeningly silent. And that's the problem. Mm. Um You've you've put a lot of yourself out there, Ian, and you've written this book, and it's full of um, personal insight and raw and difficult stories, but also... Um, you know, you've 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 sort of nailed your colours to the mast, I suppose, in, in terms of how you feel and and uh, the fingers. Uh, you know, you point the finger of blame at, at various people as you as you've outlined there. And um, mm. did you have any backlash in writing this book? Um, no, I was I was slightly concerned about that. I'll be honest, Daryl, um, because I know that you know you're you're potentially challenging some quite powerful institutions, government, the Home Office, senior policing. But I've got to say that the response so far has been overwhelmingly, hugely positive. The thing is, um, for the last five years, I've, I've, I've been uh, a voluntary chaplain at a local hospice, and, and I've literally sat with hundreds of people who are dying and their families. And if there's one thing that is very important to me personally, it's, it's to be authentic, it's to, be, it's to speak um, the truth. And I think there's far too much, there's been far too much um, dishonesty, I think, in policing. There's There's been a lack of support by senior leaders. There's been some mischievous um, coverage of policing by the media and politicians who have um, basically destroyed or very close to destroyed 
a, a very trusted uh, institution in the UK. So my my view is I I felt I, I don't want this this probably sounds I don't want this to sound sanctimonious, but I, I felt it was important to speak out for the vast majority of police officers in the UK because it, it felt to me that no one was speaking for them. And um uh, yeah, so does that yeah. does that make sense? Right, it does, yeah. And 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 again, after those decades of carrying with you what you described as unprocessed trauma and the intense experiences of being a police officer and then putting it in a book and, and publishing it, how are you now? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. Um I'm you know, I'm 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 working, I've got I'm running a business, um I'm a t- I'm an advisor to technology companies. Um, so I'm still able to use all of the uh, depth of experience that I was able to, you know, accumulate over those years. The book has been writing the book has been a massively cathartic process. I think, you know, I never I never intended it to be the book that, you know, that, that was the final product. I actually started writing it as a sort of a memoir in order to give my kids, you know, so like maybe put it in a brown envelope and say, right, read this when I'm dead. But actually, when I when I started writing it, the words literally just came pouring out of me, and and I realised. Um, there's a lot more to this than just writing a bit of a memoir. There's about some trying to. I just want to try and explain to people in Britain what's gone on mm. in the last sort of twenty years or so in policing and why things are as they are because everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? Mm. Well, it does that for sure. Uh, Tango Juliet Foxtrot is the book. Ian Donnelly is the author. Ian, thank you for being with us tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks ever so much, Daryl. Really glad we could give that subject a bit more time. Ian Donnelly, former police officer, his life and experiences in the police force, where it was and where it's got to, in Tango, Juliet, Foxtrot. This is Times Radio. Times Radio.